Welcome to the Live in Everett podcast, where we explore good things in Everett, Washington. My name is Garrett Hunt. And I'm producer Henry J. Tyler was out sick this morning, and he has a lot of stuff to catch up on, but uh, we might hear from him later in the podcast. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed. So hey, thanks for joining us on episode number 104 of the Live in Everett podcast, which is brought to you by Milltown Credit Union. You can check out their no annual fee visa credit card with a low 9.5% rate. Some restrictions may apply. You can learn more at milltowncu.org or visit them at 3201 Broadway. So we're doing things a little bit different this week uh, because we are listening to part two of our interview with Tammy Farber, and that is a very long interview. So we're truncating the Live and Everett podcast just a little bit so we can squeeze in that interview for you. But we are going to do uh, some weekly goodness picks, and we are going to play some Everett CC trivia. We have a full plate, so let's jump in. Let's take a look at some events happening around Everett from the Weekly Goodness, a weekly email newsletter we send out every single Monday. So, Henry, what is your event pick of the week? My event pick of the week is Engage Everett, and I haven't been to one since uh, the two of you did one at Black Lab a long time ago. You oh, gave yeah. like a little presentation. Back in the day. That was fun. But um, it's going to be at the Edward D. Hansen Conference Center, which is attached to Angel of the Winds Arena. And they're uh, going to have an an update on the Seattle storm calling Everett home this year, which I'm very, very excited about because Seattle storm are the most decorated professional sports team um, that we have in yeah, the Seattle exciting. area. So yeah, I'm very excited. Two time WNBA champions are going to be playing right here in our backyard. So yeah, very stoked. It's rad. Love it. And that is uh, this Wednesday at four thirty. actually tonight, four thirty PM. Bada bang. And then I will share about the Cirque du Soleil show that is coming to Everett uh, this week. Starts tonight, actually, Wednesday the 10th, and I'll be attending tonight. Uh, We actually found a babysitter, and I'll get to go to an event for once. And this is the very first show that Cirque du Soleil has ever done on ice before. Uh, That is going to be at Angel of the Winds Arena. Uh, First show is tonight, like I said, uh, Wednesday the 10th. And then they are every day... Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday through this weekend. Two shows on Saturday, two shows on Sunday. Uh, So you can get more details over in the Weekly Goodness or on our events calendar. And uh, yeah, we did a little article a couple weeks back um, uh, about the show that Laura Campbell wrote. um, And she interviewed a couple of the performers from the show. uh, And I'm hoping to get out a a, a little recap on uh, Thursday after I attend as well. And so that should be a, uh, a fun one. Yeah, for sure. And uh, also, um, let's see, for the, the Ghost of Tyler, we'll, we'll share an event pick for him as well. The uh, Emerging Leader Awards are also this week. They are uh, tomorrow night. And I was just reading through all the different profiles the Everett Herald did uh, on a number of the uh, different uh, finalists. I believe there was, tw- I think, 12 different uh, finalists that they selected uh, and then tomorrow night, Thursday, April 11th at 5.45 p.m. at the Marysville Opera House. They'll be uh, announcing the, the winner for that. Uh, they'll have, have an appetizer buffet and no-host bar provided by Sean O'Donnell's. And, uh, yeah, it should be a pretty cool event. I want to give a huge shout-out to one of the emerging leaders that is being awarded this year, my buddy Sumit, who I went to community college with. He's at Wazoo Everett now. And uh, I thought it was really cool that uh, 
that somebody I went to school with is now an emerging leader. So oh, you went to school with him. That's cool. I was yeah. just reading his profile. So shout out to Sumi. He does really good things. Also, um, a ton of podcast guests are also yes. emerging leaders. Sarah which is Boyle really cool. from the uh, Casino Road Initiative, which I learned it sounds like uh, the name changed, which is escaping me at, at the moment. But yeah, she's a previous podcast guest. Um, Maxwell Mooney, of course. Yeah. Another one of the emerging leaders. He's doing good things over there at Narrative Coffee. Um, do we have any others? You know, I'm searching through right now. Nobody's nobody's sticking out, but at least by a ton, I mean two. So it's all <laughs> well, right. There you go. It's all right, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's pretty cool that we got to interview some uh, some 2019 emerging leaders. Yeah, and maybe more to uh, have on the podcast eventually. We shall see. There we go. Well, that's what we picked out for this week. For more details and to get the weekly goodness sent directly to your inbox every Monday, just go to liveinever.com slash subscribe. So last week we had a very, very important but in-depth and long conversation with Tammy Farber from Leadership Snohomish County, and I didn't want to cut out a single word. So we split it up into two parts. We listened to the first 25 minutes last week. We're going to listen to the remaining uh, part of the interview this week. So without further ado, here is the continuation of our interview with Tammy Farber from Leadership Snohomish County. So what you're describing is when we hear words like systemic racism Mm -hmm. um, or white privilege Mm -hmm. and you know I've been trying to get a better understanding of of these words and I I recently read a book uh, White Fragility yes Robin Um, D'Angelo who is speaking here at Everett Community College um, at the Communities of Color um, at C3 Communities of Color Coalition at their the North Puget Sound Conference on Race that's coming up on Saturday April 20th and I think it's actually really important to or, to acknowledge organizations like C3 and the NAACP um, because they are organizations that you know are located here and, and mm-hmm. have roots in Everett. And you know it's interesting, Tyler. You know, starting off saying, and I think a lot of people do see me in this area as sort of like a go-to for racial equity. And I think a lot of that is because I'm white and I'm safe. But there have been people in this community who've been doing this work for a long time, particularly folks mm. of color. Yeah. But you know, we don't lift them up. Um, in the same way I'm getting lifted up, you know, as a white person. But yes, so Robin D'Angelo is coming, um, is Seattle-based, but is, is coming to town. So your to, your <laughs> whiteness <laughs> makes it easier, or oh, makes yeah. it easier for you to be recognized yes. and sort of benefit as the equity trainer. Yep. And that's your job and your business. Yep. And, and, and I'm clear on that. I mean, my, my wow. whiteness um, is what got me the position that it did. Not to say I didn't have all the credentials to fulfill that position um, with the Y. My whiteness made it really easy for me to step into this new role that I'm in now um, and to have pretty quick upward mobility and establish myself in six years in this community where you think I'd be here forever. Um, You know, I was born and raised here. And I am very, very clear that a lot of that, again, not saying that, you know, um, I don't deserve the opportunities or don't have the skill sets or things like that to to effectively be supporting um, this work in partnership with communities of color. But I'm, I mean, so much of my success and, and my growth here in this community and why people quote unquote trust me absolutely has to do with my white skin. Yeah. One of the things that I've been w- wondering uh, about, and I can only maybe talk about it through sharing a l- brief story, but when we were at this retreat on Friday, or not mm-hmm. Friday, I'm sorry, that was two days ago, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it feels like yeah, it was Friday. Whatever it was. <laughs> I was sitting at a table where you were 
talking about access to a, yeah. to uh, accessibility, right? Yep. And I'm the white guy at the table. I'm wearing a sharkskin blazer and a quilted tie, and I have boots on. And you know, like most of the people on the table were people of color and and women, right? Mm-hmm. And I honestly felt like kind of unwanted at the table in a way, or mm-hmm. like I couldn't offer anything, or mm-hmm. like because I almost opened my mouth to like offer an opinion, but I felt kind of like unwanted or unwelcomed, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a really oversimplification of the yep. way that I felt. Yep. But I felt kind of marginalized. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really important for me to sort of feel that. Like I feel like just feeling that for a second changed me in a big way. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of white men yep. that feel like they're being left behind. Yep. And I worry about that kind of, but I worry about it mostly with white women because I feel like women are already oppressed more than men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And let's see if I can figure out how to answer, ask this question. Yeah. So I, I wonder if I'm feeling as a white guy, like I'm falling backwards in status, which is probably not the right way of saying that. No, it's real. But, it's real. Yep. And I, yep. and I feel like I've come to terms that that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Like the pendulum, like we mm-hmm. need to even some stuff out. But I worry about white women, mm-hmm. especially. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you've had any like discussions on this or what you think. Yeah, I mean, it's and and thank you for for bringing this up. The first thing I will say is, personally, I do not believe that white folks that you that we literally can be marginalized. I, I think it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Now, are there other ways that you know I've experienced marginalization or oppression or you know mistreatment because maybe of my gender or you know definitely. Um, Moving out to Snohomish County is the first time I really experienced direct anti-Semitism, right? So there are other things, Mm. you know, I had learning disabilities or I was a chunky kid growing up, you know, so there's other ways that like I've been mistreated, but as white, I I literally don't even think it's possible um, in that. And I think it's, it's understanding, um, you know, because of systemic racism and the impacts that it's had and the messaging that we've received and what we've internalized. Um, and so that that sense and need and want for power and status and positionality, um, it's, I mean, it's celebrated, it's lifted up. We're like, you know, champion to like get as many letters behind your name and get as, you know, get a piece of the pie and a piece at the table. And if you just that, you know, BS notion of like, if mm. you just work hard, at- hard enough, you know, meritocracy, like you'll get yours. Um, and so I, I think there's a couple of things that come for me as, as you're saying that um, nobody is getting left behind, mm-hmm. right? Um, and even in that experience, I think that was part of whiteness of this feeling of like, well, I'm not wanted here. Or I'm being marginalized. Um, when in actuality, I think white folks really need to be in a practice around speaking less. Um, and that's even coming from someone who talks way too much, Um, but speaking less um, and really taking leads from um, communities of color, from Mm -hmm. folks of color, right, where we're um, really following their leadership, um, where their voice is centered, where they're, and so not saying something or sitting back is actually, to me, a practice for white folks to really be able to engage in um, and if any uncomfortable feelings came up like it did, um, being able to look at, okay, well, what is that? Is there truth and relevancy in that? Or is it just sort of my, my whiteness? The one thing I'll say, so hold, because I know you want to jump in. The one thing I will say in, in addition to this is that uh, Ron Chisholm, who's one of the founders of the People's Institute, who... Wait a minute. Um, Actually, Ron Chisholm is the person's name? Yes. That's my Ron dad's Chisholm. name. <gasps> 
But I guarantee it's not my dad. It's not your dad. It's not your dad. But if you met him, he's one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet. And, and one of the reasons I appreciate him so much is because he will say that nobody is discardable, right? Mm. That this has to come from a place of love when we do this mm-hmm. work. Mm. And so nobody actually is getting left behind. I think what happens is people are choosing that interpretation, that narrative and sort of victimhood or martyrdom or, you know, poor me, like, yes, I'm a white person, but I grew up poor. Yes, I'm a white person, but I'm Jewish or yes, I'm a white person, but I'm a woman and all, you know, how all that plays out. And so I think it's a a lot of choice um, and that when it gets really uncomfortable, that's when we have to stay in it more. Um, But I, I don't really believe anyone's getting left behind. And I can think about times when like, we were the college age and applying for college and people saying, well, if only I was a minority, I would have gotten more mm-hmm. or stuff. And then feeling like, yeah. And I think that there's something here about the difference between equality and equity. Oh, yes. Um, Cause I feel Very like, different. I feel like that argument of saying, if only I was a minority as a white person, if only if I was a minority, I would have been able to get more or something like that in this way. And then you want to make this like philosophical pragmatist, principled argument that well it's not equal if everyone's not getting equal share of the pie and i think that's maybe the difference with equality and equity is am i getting to this a little bit um keep going that's it like gosh so instead of making everything so equal like okay well yeah because as a white person you'd be like well it's not fair that because they're a person of color they get more in a scholarship than me If we're trying not to we're, or if we're trying to make everything equal and trying to treat and trying to treat people equally and not factoring in for color of their skin and that's like sort of the virtue that yeah. I feel like we were taught as kids. Yeah. Then that doesn't feel fair. Which is also a bunch of BS, right? Because I mean right the whole notion of equality, like it's in our founding constitution, yeah, I mean yeah. this notion, but um that has never been the case. Totally. Um <laughs> and I think that because of the unearned power and privilege that comes with being white, yeah, part yeah. of what we've internalized is it's a profound sense of entitlement. Like I am deserving, I am belonging of, like I have the right yeah. for fair treatment or access to or this, that, and the other. Um, And so I think that that's where if I was only, you know, blah, 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 then, you know, I would have gotten this or all that stuff. You know, the thing with equity and what it recognizes is that we have a long history, which is a key um, anti-racist principle, um, the People's Institute that I've referred to, um, around knowing your history, because you recognize um, that equality never existed Mm. um, and that, through its inception and, and over the years that um, things have never been distributed equally. Um, in fact, if anything, very unequally, uh, right? And so equity really recognizes around that, you know, kind of knowing that history, but then sort of a redistribution, like who really, um, not everyone necessarily needs the same things. Or, mm-hmm. you know, yes, we absolutely should be creating greater opportunities for upward mobility and advancement for people of color and indigenous communities who have been oppressed and marginalized and I mean, brutally beaten and murdered. I mean, when you really think mm-hmm. about this history, right? But that, in many respects, what that means for white folks is actually letting go. And in some respects, people you can even define it as like losing, right? But letting go of a lot of the unearned power and privilege that we have. And who wants to let go of any of that, totally, right? Yeah. Like this idea of, you know, you know, for me, being white, benefiting, like, 
I don't ever have to worry. In fact, every morning I have like, the mornings that I swim, I go to the YMCA and I swim in the morning and I have like my standard uniform. I have this black hoodie that I wear all the time. And I literally wear my hood in the morning, particularly in the winter when it's cold here. I will never, ever have to think about like, you know, the fact that I wear that. I can wear it freely and openly and, you know, and all that stuff. Um, so there are so many things that, you know, just because of the color of my skin, yeah. like I will never have to think about or worry about. Right. Yeah. And so that that idea of who on earth wouldn't want to be able to drive freely in their car? Who on earth wouldn't want to be able to walk into a store and not be followed? Who on earth wouldn't want to be able to walk into a store and get any kind of beauty product or anything that I need that matches, you know, the color of my skin, but a recognition that those benefits are primarily only there for white folks. And so what would that mean for us, right? To not letting go of like our sense of safety and belonging and connection and those things, but the privileges that come just simply because we are white that aren't afforded to all people. And equity would be working more towards changing systems, changing structures, changing belief sets and mindsets um, so that all people get to experience the comforts and safety that come with, you know, with just being white. So one of, uh, through my tourism work, mm-hmm. I've no, I noticed as a white person <laughs> that there was a lack of people of, so it's Snohomish County tourism marketing, yep. right? Outdoor, a lot of outdoor stuff. Yep. There's, it's all white people and yep. it's all able-bodied and fit yep. people, right? So I I thought, okay, I can help a little bit if I show people of color in these ads. And then I have to go out and start and talking to people who I want to cast for these ads. And when I'm having those conversations, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm like totally tokenizing you. Mm-hmm. And it, is yep. what I'm doing okay? Mm. And I'm still at a loss. Like, yep. And these are the things where it's like where I feel like in ways that I'm trying to help, am I helping? Yep. And that's like the question I want to ask you is like, I don't even want to ask you, am I helping? I want to ask you what sort of practices do I need to put in my life to make sure that I am helping Yep. and not hurting? Yes. And I will say, I know that I act out on my white privilege every day. That's why I don't, I'm not an expert. I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I have to be further along and I have, you know, a handful of years of, you know, of experience engaging in, you know, discourse around, um, you know, systemic racism and, uh, race and things like that. Um, so I think one is knowing like, we will probably, uh, my guess will be for the rest of my existence, like I'll still here and there cause, cause harm, right. And I'll hurt and I'll screw up and I'll make mistakes and I'll, my hope is that it continues to get less and less and less. But what for me now, I almost can recognize it immediately when my whiteness is showing up. And so I could either shift (laughs) and, you know, redirect or, you know, acknowledge, make an amends, whatever it is, Mm. and and sort of keep moving forward. And so I think, you know, a foundational piece is really understanding. And I would say um, owning and embracing the concept of race, the construct of race, and, and really understanding a working definition of, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's critical. I think deepening our understanding of our history, right? Not having to wait till college, but um, really understanding your history. I think from that, you begin to explore and have a deeper understanding of a concept called internalized racial oppression. So a recognition that 
for white folks, it's internalized racial superiority. And for people of color, it's internalized racial inferiority. And so what has happened is it's a multi-generational socialization process, right? Where for white folks, we take on this embodiment or notion and act out from a place of, you know, sense of superiority. And for folks of color, it's literally taking on the narrative of the oppressor, of the white person, Mm. you know, of being less than. Um, And so... So much of my work has been to really deepen my understanding of what it is as a white person that I've internalized and how does that manifest, right? And as I said earlier, how does that manifest, whether it's my perceptions or beliefs, but like my daily actions Mm. or why I make choices or decisions the way I do. Um, And so, you know, tokenism is, you know, for folks of color often, you know, can allow themselves to be, right? And then for white folks, we think we're doing a really good job and know we want to and don't realize that, you know, we're actually causing more harm or perpetuating. Um, And so it's hard. I don't think there's like, yes, there's definitely many things that I would say like white folks don't do. I mean, I think, you know, when you mentioned earlier Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, I think she gives a number of really incredible examples (laughs) of things that white folks should be mindful of or not do. And there's tons of great literature and tons of things that are out there. So I think a lot of it, as with anything, educating yourself and understanding. But I think there has to be a commitment to a daily practice of noticing like what is whiteness, right? Because we're not just talking about, yes, race, we could say white, like color of my skin, right? But even folks of color, I would say from a cultural standpoint or norms or, you know, ways of being expressions, even folks of color have embodied, you know, sort of the dominant cultural narrative and norms that Mm -hmm. stems from quote unquote whiteness. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know, it's that daily practice of a recognition and a noticing of ways in which that shows up. And I think that part of that journey is white folks talking to other white folks and really being able to process. And and one of the key things is not with another white person that's going to co-sign your BS, but someone that's going to hold you accountable is also on this journey to say, yeah, I think actually when we choose this photo and we use this for the brochure or literature, whatever it is, um, and we haven't even really gotten permission or haven't gotten community of color voice and input to say, is this like, does this feel authentic? Is this, we're probably tokenizing, you know, we're mm-hmm. probably, so it's that critical questioning that has to keep happening over and over and over again. And not again, not from a place of like judgment, beat up, I'm doing something wrong, but really like from a place of liberation. I mean, a place of, of, you know, evolution and growth and, and, you know, do, putting more good into yeah. the world than necessarily causing, you know, more harm. To hear you say a couple times that you can and have been wrong in ways that hurt people of color through oh, yeah. your work oh, yeah. has been like pretty liberating to hear that. Mm. But that what you said there about transparency, I've I've done that a couple times, and then like as I've been talking to somebody that I want to hire, and I've even said like I just want you to know mm-hmm. everything's on the table here. Like part of the reason is like this is what I'm trying to do through my work with tourism by showing a person of color there's this adventure gap thing I think and mm-hmm. um, but every time I've hung up the phone after those conversations I've always like sat for the next couple of days and been like was that okay yeah. to like have, mm-hmm. to me it feels like pure and like forthright and all mm-hmm. this stuff but it's always felt a little like wrong I don't know it's and it's because I don't 
I'm afraid, so afraid of being wrong. You well, know? that's right. And that's part of whiteness. I mean, that's, you know, Robin D'Angelo coined the term, you know, white fragility. Right, and yeah, I would say yeah. that's, that's part of whiteness, right? Yeah, that yeah. sensitivity of like, you know, because what we've internalized is perfectionism. Mm. We're supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be the best, you know, um, and there is literally no such thing. I mean, I don't, what, what is that? Like how, who, who's defining that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could look at that in, in a host of different ways. And so that it, it comes from that place of, you know, not wanting to be wrong, not wanting to be seen as bad, not wanting. And I think also, you know, it's interesting coming from New York and, and moving to the Pacific Northwest, you know, the cultural and communication norms are so different, right? I come from an environment where folks are very direct, um, sometimes harshly direct, but there's just more direct, open, honest, you know, communication where in the Pacific Northwest, you, it's <laughs> passive aggressive, right? I mean, it's, I mean, everyone, you know, they call the Seattle freeze, yeah, the Seattle yeah. nice, the, all the, and, and which I think could be a, you know, when it comes to talking about race, race relations, racism, all those things, um, it could be a huge barrier to engaging in authentic dialogue because not only if you are white and you know you're so afraid of getting it wrong and that sort of sensitivity and having to be perfect and not make mistakes then on top of that if you're so freaking worried about being nice and not wanting to like hurt anyone or harm anyone probably the conversation is sort of never going to happen right and so sure. so i you know again it, i think that so much of this for us, it's like, what are we doing to intentionally deepen our understanding, our analysis, our awareness, right? What are our daily practices that we are building into our lives to kind of interrupt or disrupt the ways in which whiteness shows up? Um, and really, you know, I can only speak from the white perspective. So even in some respects, this podcast or, you know, this conversation that we're having, I mean, we've been centering whiteness the whole time, which is often what can happen, right? And white voice and white narrative. Um, so just again, naming and acknowledging that. And yet I also think they're, they're important conversations to have, um, you know, in regards, you know, to this. And so a lot of it is just choice. Like, am I choosing to fully really step in? Um, or am I going to like dip a toe in or am I going to, you know, and that, and that's really, I think we're, a lot of the choice has to, you know, come from in, in terms of white folks. So I'm hoping all of you and white folks would be willing to like jump 100% all in with a recognition that a lot of this undoing of what's been done, we were born into this arrangement. Nobody chose it, right? But it's really about our own full humanity. Um, I would not compare the harms in which racism has, you know, the way in which it's impacted people of color particularly black community, indigenous community compared to white person, white people, I would never do that. But a recognition, like I know that at one point when my family came here, they gave up all of, not all of, but a great deal of our ethnic and cultural and religious affiliations and ties and nationality because they chose to be white because by becoming white, changing our name, giving up language, giving up, you know, customs, traditions, things like that, by giving up a lot of that, even though yes, we maintained quite a bit of it, um, but there was a lot that was given up because it meant upward mobility. Hmm. You know, it meant access. It meant like basically a much easier life. You know, with not having to really stress and worry about much of anything. You know, and so there is so much that we as white folks have even lost from this. And we think, you know, with all the power that comes with it and all these good things that come with it, like, wow, who would want to give that up? But like, it's exhausting and killing all of us. I mean, I think white folks have a difficult time even being in authentic, really intimate, you know, vulnerable, meaningful relationships because of our quote unquote whiteness. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, you know, I, I think that's often why they're also the conversation is really hard to, you know, engage in. Um, and you're not the only one that gets silent and sort of quiet yeah. <laughs> when we mention the word race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Interesting. I feel like we could keep talking for yeah. hours of, yeah. about this. Yeah, we'll have to do another. <laughs> we'll have to revisit this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe have some of the other um, people from local organizations and, and stuff on and yeah. continue more of these conversations. Um, I, I did, one thing I did really want to... Um, hear your opinion about is on on a local level here mm-hmm. in Everett in Snohomish County um and I don't know the best best way to ask this I know yeah. it's a real open-ended question yeah. but how big of a problem is racism huge yeah. it's huge everywhere I mean it's huge everywhere I think that um you know again I'm only looking through a specific lens and I'm not born and raised here I'm here six years and but I I think it's it is a problem everywhere um I've, you know, in the time that I've been here, um, I've heard and seen and been witness to tons of, of racialized incidents. Um, it's playing out in our schools. It's playing out, you know, in our neighborhoods. It's playing out in law enforcement. It's playing out. And, and again, I don't think that necessarily that people are ill-intended, right? But the blinders are off, like the lack of awareness or, um, you know, thinking that something's okay when, when it's really not. And so I, I really do believe that there is a calling in right now and calling people forward in a different way um, through government, through nonprofit, through, you know, public, private sector. I mean, all of us, like if we're not all mobilizing and organizing collectively, you know, we're not going to see the change that we want to see. Um, but I think that racism is alive and well and breathing and living um, every you know waking and sleeping moment in everett and you know surrounding neighborhoods so is there a way that i am complicit in systemic racism that i probably participate in way more often than i realize yes what are some of those ways yeah or some of those things you know it's um God, you make me think of Peggy McIntosh, um, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, a great article. So, you know, it's an oldie but goodie that lists out all the ways in which, you know, we benefit. And some of them are, you know, you almost want to um, chuckle at. Yeah, I, almost, I, I would say, you know, ahead. think about how many times have you been witness to something where something your gut told you like, mm, that wasn't right, or maybe should, they shouldn't have said that, or, or it was like, really, you were like, oh, that's no joke, and you sat there and didn't say a thing. All the time. All the time, right? I mean, we do that all the time. All the time. And so that, I mean, to start, and that is one of the biggest ways that we can interrupt, particularly for white folks to white folks. Um, you, you know, I can even see it when we were in this retreat. And yep. I don't want to say whose retreat it was in, yes. but when you and Janice are talking, yep. I can see some of the white folks, older white folks being like, kind of tuning you out in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you notice that too. Mm-hmm. It's not just mm-hmm. me that's noticing it. And then... I don't know what the hell to do in that situation. Yep. I'm like, this is, yep. somebody should say something. Am I noticing this right? No, I'm not noticing it right. No, maybe I'm just being oversensitive yep. and I talk myself out of it. And it wouldn't be appropriate in that kind of situation. I don't think, but I don't know to like call that's, it out. That's the whole thing. It, yeah. It's it's always appropriate. I mean, to not call it out is what's problematic. I don't care what the, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, I think people here that have gotten to know me and I've, you know, I've built intentional relationships. Um, and I think most folks know that I come from a place of love and well intention, but I'm, I'm like, it, I don't care what table I'm at. It could be like the biggest 
heaviest official to the, you know, whoever it may be and everything in between. And, and I'm going to interrupt because that's part of my commitment as a practitioner. Um, and I think for white folks, yeah. it's really easy to say, oh, well, this, this, this wouldn't be an appropriate time or, you know, it's not really my place because I'm not, I'm here supporting kind of the background of the retreat, but I'm not really in the retreat. So maybe it, it shouldn't be me the one to say, you know, I can't even tell you, and this retreat had happened too, but you know, where I've had the experience of where a person of color spoke up. Um, and then I also, you know, chimed in and spoke up to what was going on where the people thought that what the person of color said was so problematic, but then went on to say how diplomatic and, and how articulate and, you know, I'm, I'm so great. I mean, this just literally happened. Well, that's you know? flat out and racism at that point. Well, 100%, right? But the, the person who's saying that isn't aware that, yeah. you know, huh. that where that judgment or that interpretation that, I was articulate. Meanwhile, I probably said things that were even harsher, um, but be, but I'm able to get away with it because of the fact that I'm white. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface yeah. and seeing racism because I feel like we were socialized to believe that racism, like you said, was the Klan riding into town and yes. lynchings and things yep. like this. But it's like even people's unintentional like racist jokes or something like yes. that that i feel like as a white person we were socialized that joking about race was acceptable oh, acceptable mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i even watch episodes of the office from like yep. three or four or five six years ago or whatever right where there's jokes about race and then i'm like are we being too sensitive because that was actually mm-hmm. funny Mm-hmm. And then I have this internal dialogue with myself where I'm like, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to this anymore. Yeah. And I don't know how to atone <laughs> for the racist jokes that I said when mm-hmm. I was in high school and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I, you know, whether it's like, uh, you know, atone or whatnot, it's really about it, the past of the past, right? It is what it is. We've done yeah. what we've done. Huh. It's like, what's my commitment today and every day moving forward? Right. right? I, Yes, are there shows that I watch that um, have totally inappropriate and whatnot, but I also know it's very intentional um, humor, right, that that um, around racist things or, you know, we can go down a slew of, of different things yeah, that, yeah. you know, get brought up in TV stereotypes, and movies. And, yeah, know? basically, like, yep. Is it appropriate to joke around about stereotypes? I, I, honestly, I think it depends. I don't think for me it ever is. Mm. You know, I'm not really in a position or in a place, um, uh, you know, or I don't necessarily have a platform um like potentially um and the entertainment industry or media or other things might have it you know quote unquote appropriate i mean i don't know when it's ever fully um okay to joke but you know it so i think how how is it being used why why is it being used who's saying it why are they saying it i mean i think so it's contextual for me a lot of this stuff of like when it would quote unquote be okay but not be okay personally um i'm not you know i'm not a big fan um just because I, I think of either how it can perpetuate or just continue to cause more harm. What about white people joking about white people's stereotypes? You know, like how I'm yeah. joking uh-huh. about how Garrett and I yeah, are wearing flannels. Good. Yeah, well, I do, you know, here's the thing. I mean, it, you know, I said earlier, uh, you know, it's not that stereotypes aren't true. It's that they're incomplete. We, we basically tend mm. to make stereotypes the definitive story about, you know, a given group of, of people. And to be honest, like I laugh a lot, especially with like my people that I'm really close to. And I'm very blessed for some of the relationships I have with, you know, my folks who, you know, um, that are not white, um, and where we're able to like joke a lot and, you know, 
I mean, even I engage, we say funny stuff about white people and we talk about different things, but there's the trust, there's the relationship, um, and there's an honoring. Um, and so it, it, in that place, in that environment that, you know, that we do that, but some of it is also for those of us who are deeply engaged in this work, if we didn't have moments of laughter and ways to just like chuckle and get some of mm. that kind of energy out, we would be flat on our face all the time crying mm. and like, you know, just in this place of, so sometimes the humor and the joking in, I, I think can be healing, mm. you know? Yeah. As Garrett said earlier, we could talk about, I'm just going to keep asking you question after question after we question. Like I told too. you I was going to do. So I think that we should start wrapping up. I want yeah. to hear about uh, upcoming events yes, around yeah. uh, with leadership in County and your racial equity training cohort yep. and your yep. understanding institutional racism. Can yeah, you undoing, plug all? Yep. Undoing, yeah. Yes, yes, I can, can plug it all. Yeah. So unfortunately, tickets are sold out. I always have to give a, a plug for Community Color Coalition, the North Puget Sound Conference on Race, um, which is happening April 20th. Um, but I think it's just good to know and, and uh, that that is happening and is taking place at Everett Community College. Uh, Leadership Snohomish County is really um, made an intentional commitment. It's in the very early stages of, um, however, a, a commitment to work towards racial equity and to really advance racial equity um, and really using its platform around leadership and leadership development. Because right? when you look at a continuum where, you know, sort of the early stages are really about awareness building and knowledge building, and then you can start to move into what are the skills, how do I apply this learning, and how do I move towards action? Um, and so a few things that are happening um, on April 26th will be the third annual Step Up Moving Racial Equity Forward Conference. Um, it'll be at the Linwood Convention Center. Um, tickets are now on sale, so we're super excited about that. Um, we have a tiered price range. Um, so we do have tickets at $0, and, and the intention behind that is to make sure that um, this is accessible to all people, and yet we know a lot of people are you know, being supported to go through their workplace or whatever it be, or just have the financial means. And so we are asking for people who can purchase purchase um, one of the tiered price tickets um, to please do because that really helps to go to, you know, right um, a lot of conferences do not pay their presenters and we offer them a stipend. You know, we pay for keynotes and a handful of other things. Um, so this year we have Dr. Michael Benitez and Chris Crass as our keynotes who are just phenomenal, brilliant, amazing human beings that you would not want to miss and a really incredible lineup of presenters. Um, also, um, Leadership Sonomish County, we partner with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Uh, and right now, it's five times a year. We've been um, hosting in Snohomish County the two-day undoing institutional racism undoing training. Mm -hmm. And so I can't encourage folks enough. It's been uh, it's been pretty amazing because we don't even advertise. It's literally all word of mouth. And there have been a number, number of uh, institutions within the community um, that have been, you know, really committed to um, this being a part of professional development. Um, so the next one coming up is April 15th and 16th, and then we'll have again in June. Okay. Um, so um, we have those dates. And then um, what I'm extremely excited about um, for folks who are familiar with Leadership Snohomish County, it's two sort of key programs are the Signature um, Leadership Cohort and then the Young Professionals Cohort, um, a nine-month intensive leadership program that's centered on civic leadership. Um, and we are starting in May. Um, I am co-designing and co-creating and working with my dear friend and cohort, uh, Bernardo Ruiz, 
Bernardo is the, um, he's one of the co-founders and principal consultant of Racing to Equity, um, Seattle-based consulting firm. And so the two of us together are co-designing a five-month leadership cohort that's centered specifically around advancing racial equity. Hmm. Um, so the application is about to be launched. You can find that at, um, on Leadership Snohomish County's website. Uh, Leadership Snohomish County's website, and um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited. Where it'll be, uh, was there already a lot of buzz and a lot of people really excited? And yeah. part of the intent of the undoing institutional racism trainings, you know, the Step Up Conference, and even Leadership for Racial Equity now, and um, is this opportunity for um, like collective movement building, and so that we are moving collectively as a county rather than only some people getting the information or some people doing the work or, and so again, trying to, part of another key anti-racist organizing principle is around networks. You know, and they, I love when they say build a net that works. And so part of this is, you know, using the platform of Leadership Somish County and partnering with other organizations that have been, you know, are also in, um, committed and engaged in this work, but building this extended network so that there can be more of a mass movement to advance racial equity in the county, mm-hmm. um, which I think we, you know, Snohomish County is a special place, and I think we have the opportunity to do some really mm-hmm. amazing radical things here um, that I'm excited to be a part of. So, so yeah, so check them out. Yeah, I feel like I gotta give it a shout out to Kathy Coffee because yes. there's a lot of ways that she could be, <laughs> a lot of things she could be doing with Leadership Snohomish County and that would be a lot this. easier and a lot yep. safer. Yep, absolutely. And She's a remarkable she woman. Is remarkable. So yeah. shout out to Kathy at shout Leadership Snohomish yes. County. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for being here today and yeah. taking the time. And uh, yeah, it was it was great having you. Thank it you was for awesome. having me. Yeah, I didn't is... get kicked out. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> It is time for Ever Trivia, and I know this. I said that Tyler Chisholm wasn't going to be on the podcast, but we pulled him out of his office just to bring him in for trivia to keep the streak alive. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. Sorry I couldn't make it to the previous uh, podcast sections, but here I am. Hopefully I win. Here if I don't win, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> well, prepare to be pissed, then. <laughs> All right. First question. Every community college does not offer classes in Mill Creek, Arlington, Monroe, or Marysville. Everett Community College does not offer classes in those cities. Mill Creek, Arlington, Monroe, or Marysville. Oh, my gosh. Which city? Hmm. This is a, this is a thinker. Could it be the home of the Eagles, Arlington? Could it be the home of the Tomahawks and whatever Getchell High School's mascot is, Marysville? Could it be Monroe? All right. I, I, I know it's... I haven't narrowed down to two for sure. I also haven't uh, narrowed down to two for sure. Should we share who our two that we, have narrow, that we haven't narrowed down to are? <laughs> Wow. Wait a minute. <laughs> Can you translate that, please? I haven't no. quite warmed up. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's just share same. our options. Let's our, share what we picked. Which one? Like the one that we picked. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Three, two, one. Mill Arlington. Creek. That was the other one I was thinking it might be. Yeah. What did you say? Mill Creek. Garrett got it. It's Mill Creek. Yes. So they don't offer it in Mill Creek. 
they do not offer class. They offer classes in Arlington, Monroe, and Marysville because ah. Marysville has the the beauty school. Cosmetology. Monroe yeah. is like the East County campus, I think. Yep. yep. And then I don't know what's in Arlington, but apparently something's up there. So interesting. So I yeah yeah that makes. I think I did this wrong. Nothing yeah. in Mill Creek. Well. How many buildings does every community college's main campus currently have? How many buildings on the main campus, which Tyler lives just a block away from? Yeah, I haven't counted the buildings in a while, though. <laughs> you haven't gone through and counted the buildings? That uh, is kind of where I usually go there on my walks. I like to walk through the campus um, on the weekends. It is very nice. A beautiful campus. Uh, 12, 15, 20, or 23? How many buildings on EVCC's main campus? Easy. 12, 15, 20, or 23. Tyler says I, easy. I just got to close my eyes and visualize walking around the campus for a few minutes. Hold on. I know, what right? constitutes a building? Um, a building constitutes <laughs> a building. Yeah, right? <laughs> do like the outbuildings count? I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure they do. Mm. I don't know. 12, 15, 20, or 23. Can, can you specify which outbuildings you're referring to, Tyler? <laughs> you know, like where the... Um, they keep the stuff, the storage outbuildings, you know, where they keep various stuff and things. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> All right. I got my guess. All right. It's, it's a guess. All right. Show. Okay. Um, I, I haven't got there yet. I, I really feel like you're still thinking about this. Yeah. I, dude, I would need like 10 minutes to sit and like think in my mind and like walk around the campus, well, but I should we, just, we just listened to a 45 minute long interview. So <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry. It's a, <laughs> this is not, I should say that <laughs> EBCC trivia is not fair because Garrett went to school there for like 50 years and he worked there for like 30 years. So <laughs> that's why I can visualize the campus so well, but I don't have time. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. I'll just take a, uh, Take an educated guess. I'll, I'll take an educated guess. Here. You can you can do it. I'm cheating and looking at what you're circling, and I'm pretty <sighs> sure that you're right. But I have to go with my Tyler Chisholm system and say 23. Okay, I said 20. Garrett's got his 20. Ooh, wow. Well, this one's a true or false question. So. Oh, Garrett's already won. I will say so. You can you can come back. No, I know. We're only in the I second know. week. There's I know. One, I know. I thought left. that it was 20, but the Tyler Chisholm system says that if Somebody provides questions and it's multiple choice. Always choose the biggest number. Right. Apparently the Tyler Chisholm system is garbage. Well, last week, here. last week I, I went against the Tyler Chisholm system and it cost me. So I said, I'm never going to do that again. So I had to be disciplined and follow the system. Right. But I told you my system. So now it's no longer a secret. Final question. True or false. Every community college has student housing. True or false. That one's Everyone knows Hopefully that's false. pretty easy. Tyler's trying to throw me off. EVCC has student housing. I drive by all the kids smoking at nighttime all the time. I'm going to say it's true. <laughs> true. It's true indeed. Young adults, not kids. So there you go. Well, Garrett's pulling away. He's got a healthy lead. Good job, Gary. Uh, what is it? What is it right now? Is it four to two? I believe it's four to two or four to one. I, I knew that uh, I knew that taking nine years to get my two-year degree would pay off eventually. <laughs> Here it is, all of all of okay, that. At least you time. finished your EVCC degree. I never finished mine. I thought no, me taking late. taking three years was tough, but nine is. Well, it started in high school. Marathon. I did running start, and then I 
like didn't go for a long time. So it, it was an on and off thing, but you know, I dropped, got there eventually. I dropped out so I could have a nine year gap between mine. So I can say that I took 11 and a half years to one up you. <laughs> <laughs> My buddy Derek has three credits. He needs three credits and he took running start. So he could have graduated <laughs> in like 2004 <laughs> and he still needs three credits to, to get an AA. I think I need like 11, which is a weird number of credits. To that, that's yeah. actually, and sorry, I know this is such a side tangent about our personal ever community college careers that no one cares about, but um, <laughs> that's the reason I avoided it for so long is I needed one college level math class. But for me to get to a college level math class, I had to take like four pre-level college math classes. That was, was the worst. That was me. And I graduated math 107 with a D minus <laughs> and I took math 107 three Dude, times. They got to do something about the system because this is exactly why I've been putting it off too. Because for those who don't know, I dropped out of high school when I was a freshman and I got my GED and I'm like fine with practical math. I own a business calculators in Excel are my friend, but I, Test, I'm like math 99 or something is what my placement test put me in. Right. I need to teach myself math, take the placement test, hopefully test in math 100. You need to teach yourself algebra. That is what you need. Um, but it's like elementary school algebra, but my brain cannot <laughs> do that at all. And Solve it, for X, right? Is that what it, what algebra is? Yeah, it took me like Somebody should send us classes. algebra trivia questions. I, <laughs> screw that. No. <laughs> Dude, that's that's why I looked out because my good friend, shout out to Nate McConnell, who was also my roommate at the time, he seriously tutored me like almost every single day when I was trying to get through algebra and I don't think I could have done it without him. So thanks, Nate. Yeah, shout out to Allison Tennis who tutored me and now she's a teacher and in the Marysville School District. Um, nice. So, yeah. God, That's we're right. all doomed. Like, what are we going to do in like this next Not wave of use a calculator like everybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Google, I, Google it. I know. Google it, right? That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, next week, hopefully um, Tyler can make his ascent back on top. We should do it. Or not. We should do a couple algebra questions just to see who knows the most algebra here. I bet you it's me. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be the next round of trivia. (laughs) A huge, huge shout out to a couple awesome of you listeners that have decided to support us on Patreon. Uh, Brittany Barber, Megan Hausinger, Kelly uh, Kiko. I'm sorry, I know I'm mispronouncing your name, but thank you. And Nathan Grounds, who recently upped his pledge on Patreon. Uh, Thank you all so very much. Your support... That's right. Sound that air horn. Is that an app you have on your phone to sound that? Yeah, it's an air horn. Who are you, Tom Hatherford? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, To all of our patrons, uh, you're amazing. We love you. We actually have a little uh, special something that we might be planning in the works that uh, if you're already a patron, you, you already know. But if you're not a patron, you don't know yet. So you should go sign up. And it involves this podcast. We're doing something very special. So if you want to know, patreon.com slash live in Everett, $1 a month will get you access to whatever we're cooking up. with the And podcast. it may or may not occur at a batting cage. <laughs> That's true. It may or may not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thanks for hanging out on the Live and Ever podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please help others discover it as well by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. If you'd like to drop us a line, you sure can podcast at liveandever.com or leave us a voicemail at 425-341-3731. Thanks for joining us today. Special thanks to Oliver Alfarmi for our theme music. Uh, to our producer, Henry J, and to Tammy Farber, again, from uh, Leadership Snohomish County. Good things happen in Everett because of you, so thanks so much for listening and being a part of this wonderful city. Have a great week, everyone. This is why we're Everett till the grave.